there's not a whole lot that can go wrong from a construction capital standpoint. You're more at risk of, do you actually get the rent premiums and rent bumps and, and income that you're looking for when you do that? So it's not the mistake that matters. It's how you deal with it, what you learn from it, and how you apply that lesson to your life. Welcome to Multifamily Missteps, where your host, Jerome Myers, brings on apartment investors from around the country, big and small, to share with you the lessons they wish somebody would have told them. These short episodes are designed to expedite your journey to growing a profitable apartment portfolio without all the mistakes that others have made. We're super excited that you're here. Now, let's jump into the show. Again. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Multifamily Missteps. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got the pleasure of having my man, Chris Grinzig, in the building with me today. He's was up north, like New York, Connecticut, Jersey, and he packed his bags and took them down south. I, he didn't go quite to South Beach, but he is in Florida. Chris, how are things, brother? I'm good, man. Just enjoying the warmer weather in the winters, enjoying life. Things are good. Been down here for like 14 months now, so things are pretty good. Can't complain. So, I mean, you're rocking and rolling. We we got started in the little green room and it was like three deals are in the mix right now where people are saying they can't find deals. You have stuff flying in from all over the place. So, you know, the listeners may not know your journey. I do, but give them a little bit of what you've been working on in the past. Let's call it, I want to make sure that we get to before you actually move to Florida. So maybe we go a little bit before COVID. What's been going on in your world? Cause you made a bunch of changes. Yeah, sure, man. So just, uh, I'll give very brief context and then dive in more kind of the journey recently. Graduated college 2014, played division one soccer, coached for a couple of years, got my feet wet in the business world, being a, a cold caller for a stock brokerage company, got licensed, hated it, got introduced into real estate January 2016, trying to flip houses in New York with my mom and my cousin. Completely failed at that for several months. We tried flipping out of state. We tried tax deed purchases and then eventually found our footing in multifamily. So we got introduced to John Cohen, who was one of the co-owners at Toro Real Estate Partners where I used to work. Did a couple of deals on the side with him, like hundred plus units, then joined Toro because they were growing. So him and his partner, Don, would focus on much larger deals. So hundred to 500, five to 50 million. And they were looking for some help. So I, I, jumped, I joined over there right after they closed their second deal and were under contract on their third, they kind of coached me up. And then my role eventually turned into basically running all of our deals down in Florida and then helping out with the asset management on most of the other deals we own. So while I was there, including those first two, we bought about 4,000 units uh, worth about like 300 million, 23 properties in total. And we went full cycle on seven of those while I was there. And then we actually bought uh, a thousand units in Jacksonville, Florida, seven properties. And two of those seven that we went full cycle on were in Florida. And since I've left uh, Toro, I've been gone for roughly 14 months. They sold one other deal in Florida. So they got four left. But I was there for four and a half years. I was there from August 2016 to November 2020. Not quite four and a half, but close enough. And when COVID hit, things got kind of weird. We didn't really know what was going on. Like I said, I ran everything in Florida. So half of my job was basically finding new deals for us to look at and take down. And we basically stopped looking and just focused purely on what was happening with the world, with our deals. I mean, you know, 
at the time, you know, back in February, March, April, you know, we thought the, you know, the world was going to fall out from underneath us. And we thought collections were going to drop to like 50%. And we're trying to figure out how we're going to pay our expenses and our loans and all this stuff. And, you know, that never really happened, you know, thankfully for us, but a lot of my working hours kind of just vanished overnight. So I was, you know, New York was really locked down at the time. So I was living in uh, my mom's basement because I moved out of the city. I was by myself in a 55 and older community, basically not really doing any work, not really doing a heck of a lot of anything, just kind of vegging out, sitting on the couch, but started looking for deals to, to buy for myself. I had some cash set on the side lot, on the sidelines. Some family members had some cash on the sidelines because we weren't sure what was going on. I also thought it was going to be a really good buying opportunity. You know, thought we'd find distressed sellers, buy stuff for 40, 50 cents on the dollar, stay in cash until kind of stuff got right and, you know, do whatever. That never really happened, but we still found a really great deal. The 16-unit deal in an area of Jacksonville called Orange Park. Toro had just bought almost a carbon copy of that property around the corner. It was 117 units, basically the same floor plan, same submarket, you know, same a lot of everything. So I was like, this is a great deal. And I was getting it for cheaper than that one. So I was like, okay, this is great. You know, we bought ours for 88 a door. We bought that one for 73. And I was like, this is fantastic. So put that under contract and just started going through the process, kind of put it out there to, you know, network and social media. And a lot of people asking, Hey, are you leaving? Like, what are you doing? What does this mean? And John even asked me too. And I was like, no, no, you know, I'm just buying a deal. Like no big deal. Um, but kind of just got asked so many times I started thinking about, it. I was like, shit, maybe I should like, maybe this is the time and place to do it. And really got there thinking. And I was like, I'm 28, about to be 29. I was kind of sitting there. I was like, if not now, when am I going to do it? And ultimately I decided like, I don't want to be 80 years old and look back and regret not having tried it. So decided to pack my bags, move down to Florida to own that deal, operate that deal as the property manager, construction management, all that stuff and start my own thing. And that was a Thanksgiving of 2020. We picked up our second deal in February of 21. Uh, we just closed on our third deal. And then we have two more deals under contract that'll be closing in the next 45 to 60 days. A lot of people want to be profitable multifamily operators, but lack the knowledge, deal flow, experience, and capital to be successful. They often try to overcome these challenges out of order, slowing or eliminating their ability to get the next deal done. We have developed a framework that allows them to gain the knowledge they need to find profitable deals. When they use our system, they create time and location freedom, as well as the generational wealth they desire for their family. The Multifamily Kickstart program has proven to be the fastest way to establish credibility and build a profitable apartment portfolio. Hop over to drawmyers.co to find out more. Wow. So, I mean, for you, you, you picked up the skill set of cold calling. So you're able to find deals. You partner up with some guys who are doing it at a bigger level. And then you go out on your own and apply what you spent the last five or six years learning how to do with other people. I think it's a storybook way of getting into the space and being a full-time operator. Yeah. I mean, when we, you know, the, the flipping stuff was my mom and my cousin had bought a course and they were just like, Hey, you want to join us? And I was like, sure. I, I mean, I knew literally nothing about real estate, like less than nothing, if that's even possible. 
And, you know, I kind of gone that route. I wasn't a huge fan of it. You know, I, we didn't take what we were given and really apply it well. So like also fully on us and I accept that, you know, responsibility, but I just don't think it was the right route for me personally. So when I had the opportunity to, to join day in, day out, people that knew a lot more than me were, you know, operating at a way higher level. I was like, this is how I learn, right? Because even going back to college, when I was playing soccer, I probably was not at the level of the team that I joined, but by being around them for two, three, four years, I was eventually up to that level. And I mean, look, I was never, you know, the number one guy on the roster. I didn't start every game, probably started about half of them and played in most of them, but still by being around those people, you know, that's the way that I really learn and soak up and, you know, kind of learning by that osmosis and hearing things over and over you know, picking people's brains day in, day out, doing the actual work, getting dirty. You know, for me, I, you know, I just recognize that that's how I learn. And that was one of the big reasons about moving down was, you know, I'd never done property management, never really done construction management. I knew kind of loosely what stuff costs and how to get rents and how to operate and what, you know, stuff should cost. And I had enough of a network that I could refer to people and ask them questions and, and get that stuff, but I had never really overseen it. So coming down again, it was all right, let's just, jump in, get our hands dirty. And I have enough of a network, enough knowledge to kind of be dangerous, but, you know, let's kind of really figure out how it works by getting down there. Yeah. And I think most people underestimate the importance of what you just articulated. And that's you having some connections, even if they're loose so that you can get things done. Cause if you're starting from scratch on everything, you're basically at everybody else's mercy at that point. And it's, pretty dicey out here in this space. And so, I mean, with all the deals that you've talked about, I mean, have they all gone perfectly? No, not at all. I mean, I would say there's been mistakes on every one, even the one we just took over, right? There's already some small mistakes we're making. Some are to our benefit. You know, I'm way over budget on our landscaping budget, which is fantastic. Um, Probably way under budget on some other things. But, you know, our first deal was definitely a, a big learning curve of, coming in, having a a plan of what I wanted to do from a high level. And then once you kind of get in there with people and really talk about doing a certain plan, you know, you kind of find out what the problems are and, you know, having to pivot and adjust. So, I mean, we went from, you know, a roughly 10,000, 12,000 adore budget uh, for every unit to about a 30, 35 adore budget for every unit. And we're, we're pretty much done now after about being 13, 14 months into it. Whoa, 13 to 30? Correct. Did I hear that right? Yeah. Okay. So where did the money come from? Because I mean, it's not like you're doing a quad. Yeah. So I mean, luckily, you know, my partner, it was just me and a family member on that. We were originally, like I said, we had cash and we were going to close on a deal in cash because the world didn't really turn upside down. We decided to get a 70% low levered loan. So we still had the cash and as we were closing the deal, we kind of said, okay, here is our, we kind of had a loose plan. It wasn't like a, you know, this, you know, when we go out with Toro and we're raising money from, you know, investors and stuff, you're like, Hey, here's our plan and we're going to stick to it. You know, the nice thing is because it was a JV, we were like, okay, you know, we just kind of decide what we want to do. And we were like, okay, here's what we think we're going to do for lack of a better term. We have a rough idea. And we had a loose game plan in mind, but when we really started getting into it and there was kind of, 
I want to say two main things that really changed it. You know, once we started really diving into it, we kind of pivoted and that change was not also like, Hey, you have, you have to spend, it wasn't like deferred maintenance. Like this thing's going to fall down. If you don't spend 35, we went from a more modest renovation plan to a full on, Hey, let's really change the perception of this property because of a couple of things, you know, originally, and those two main things were one, this was built in 1965. It had these really solid, sturdy, hardwood oak cabinets that were in there. And we didn't want to get rid of them because they're nice. They've lasted 60 years. The problem was we wanted to move them slightly and then paint them and Mm -hmm. refinish them. And because they were one solid piece, trying to cut it and move it and add in a spacer, by the time we started getting pricing back, everyone was like, it's going to cost you the same to get new cabinets. You might as well get the brand new fresh look for cabinets. And we were like, okay. And then we were like, well, if we're going to do new cabinets, we're going to need new countertops. I'm like, okay, started looking at that. The next thing kind of, you know, step along the way that was having with this was um, this had a galvanized plumbing for the water, which I knew was a problem. However, when we took over, we started having uh, a couple leaks that were happening both in the unit. And we also had one in our courtyard. So it's four, four unit buildings. So that's like four quads on one parcel that form a courtyard and the, the sewer and the water run under the ground in the courtyard. And we had one leak so bad, so under pressure, it was actually shooting up about four feet from underground and bubbling out over the the ground that we could see. So had plumbers look at it, spent some money on fixing it. And we kind of looked at it and said, look, we're going to be ripping out cabinets. We're going to be ripping, ripping out countertops. And, you know, a lot of, you know, it, it looks like these, this plumbing is kind of getting towards the end of its life. We kind of looked at it and said, all right, let's, instead of trying to just do a partial renovation, push rents, you know, 150, 200 bucks. Let's get in there. Let's really replace a lot of stuff that needs to be replaced. Plumbing, water heaters, cabinets, countertops, flooring, bathrooms. You know, let's really open this thing up, replace a lot of stuff. And because our intention was always to refinance and hold this property for a long time, we said, let's spend more money now, get a lot of that stuff out of the way, and then we'll have hopefully less headaches for the longer term as well as too, by spending more, we can push rents more. And we think even improve the, the tenant quality even more, which then creates an easier management property for the next five, seven, 10 years, whatever it is. But you know, we, we really couldn't stick with our original plan. So even if we didn't decide to overhaul it completely, we still would have had to probably spend another five to 10,000 more a unit just to do any sort of renovation. Wow. And so were you able to refi and did every, all the numbers still work out like you wanted them to? I mean, the nice thing with Jacksonville is the past year has seen crazy, crazy rent growth. So, I mean, we're getting about $200 over what we projected, even with the the upgraded renovations. So we'll probably be all in for roughly a hundred a door, hundred, hundred and five. When all said and done, there's properties around the corner that are not fully renovated selling for 160 to 170. And the deal Toro bought is probably going to sell at some point. I'm hearing anywhere from 170 to 190 a door. Um, The problem, we're probably going to have to wait a little bit longer on a refi. The one problem I've heard with the small balance loans for agency is they will, if it's too quick, they'll cap you at 90% of cost. So that would mean, let's say we're all in for 100, they'll only lend you $90,000 per unit, even if the deal is worth 
for easy math, right? Let's just say it was $200,000 a door. You could get a 75% loan at 150 a door. I can't quite do the 150 times 16 in my head, but you kind of see the math. You know, you're leaving a ton of money on the table that you could potentially refinance out. I've heard they will give exceptions, but we've still got a few things we've got to wrap up. We just rebuilt a laundry room that had blown down three years ago. So that's supposed to be finished up with appliances in in the next one to two weeks. I've still got to add a small grill area. We got security cameras going in. We expanded the pool deck with pavers. So I'm putting in pool furniture for this, you know, spring and summer coming up once we get the cameras in. And then I've got to redo a little bit of the striping on one side because we have to help out an ADA person as well. They're having some trouble with their their parking situation. So we're going to minor thing. Um, But once we kind of get all that done, get, you know, these last units done up to market uh, and stuff of that nature, we're going to start exploring it. So yeah, that's going to be pending what they actually allow us to do. It's going to be one of the, it's going to end up being one of those deals you hear about on podcasts where it's like, I made such and such and I did this and it's going to sound fake. And, you know, we're going to be pretty fortunate that it is going to turn into one of those deals. So where it actually shakes out at, you know, I don't know. I think it's amazing for you to be able to capture that much wealth in a single deal. I I think that's beautiful. So, you know, the final question I always ask the folks who come on and share these stories is what words of wisdom do you have for our listeners? Yeah, I think I, I probably should have brought in somebody, you know, we had our vendors, I had a, a property management contact that helped me while we were doing that. But for some reason, just nobody really looked at those things and said, hey, you know, you're looking at this wrong. Um, so I don't know, you know, I kind of look back and I, I wonder if I should have been asking more questions of people, you know, hey, where do you see problems? What do you see going wrong? So I think I probably should have brought in more experience earlier on and leaned on them heavier than I did. I think I was probably a little naive on actually getting in there, doing the construction and, you know, stuff that can go wrong, the more you open stuff up and not really asking the questions of like, Hey, what can go wrong with this plan? And not really looking at contingencies and backups and potential pitfalls. And that's like, now we have, you know, this 12 unit deal under contract, and we want to add, you know, the idea is to add washer dryer hookups to all the units because it's a great area. And I'm trying to get in, you know, electrician, a plumber, you know, a general contractor to really look at these things and, you know, ask like, hey, you know, if we go to do this, what are some of the problems we're going to have? When I think not leaning on an expertise earlier, especially with myself lacking it, you know, I think was kind of the problem. So I would say, really surrounding yourself with the people that know more than you do and have been doing it a hell of a lot longer that can kind of walk you through what your ideas are and what the problems are and what they think about it. Chris, the one thing that you said that I think is beautiful is, and you didn't say it this way, but you were well capitalized. And if you have capital, then it covers up a bunch of mistakes and you can pivot and you got tremendous flexibility. You know, one of the things we're doing on the deal we just closed and the new one is our cap, it's a bridge loan, which I don't like. I don't like having renovations tied up in a bridge loan, but our lending partner on that one, what it's really nice about it is they don't package up and sell a lot of their loans to you know other people. And they just, they just, you know, you give them your plan of what you're going to do, but then they basically give you the, the bucket of money. And it's not like line item out, like, Hey, if you don't spend $1,800 on appliances, you know, if it's less, they're not going to give you the extra money for something else. Or if it's over, they're going to make you submit a you know budget change for every little thing you're doing. You know they they 
give you a little bit more flexibility and freedom, which was super important for me, as well as to, they, you know, we included 10% contingency for all of our capital stuff, but they add on top of that even more. So you have a, a bigger pool to pull from and it's not force funded, which is super huge. So knowing who your capital partners are is super important, especially on the debt side. You know, I was super wary about doing these deals without having a bridge partner that's not going to twist my arm if I try to change up what I'm doing a little bit. Because anybody that's taken over a deal knows, especially some of the deals we're doing, because they're, you know, a little bit heavier lifts, a little bit more construction heavy, because we're trying to find deals to add value, refine money out, hold for another three, five, seven years. You know, you open up a wall, stuff changes, right? You get in there and you look at one thing and stuff changes. Having that flexibility is important. And luckily, you know, when I've been talking to investors and the people we've partnered on, most of them, if not all of them, understand that because they have some sort of background or they've done deals. They know this isn't a 2010 class A 300 unit complex in you know Orlando, Florida, where we're coming in and changing some light fixtures and some countertops and you know adding some you know extra amenities. There's not a whole lot that can go wrong from a construction capital standpoint. You're more at risk of do you actually get the rent premiums and rent bumps and and income that you're looking for when you do that. So, you know, we're, we try to be pretty upfront about like, hey, stuff is going to go wrong. I don't know exactly what, but I'll let you know what it is going to be once we kind of get in there. Chris, thank you so much for sharing your story with us, man. I think this is going to inspire so many people. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. To the listeners, the pack's with you. We'll talk soon. You made it all the way to the end. So that means you love this episode of Multifamily Missteps. I need a favor from you. The only way this show grows is if more people know about it. So do me a favor. Take a screenshot and post it on your favorite social media platform and tag me in it. Who knows? We may have you as the next guest. I look forward to sharing the episode with you next week.